So who was encouraged yesterday by Pastor Jess and her message? Jess, why don't you come on up? Appreciate you being here. We're glad you made it up the hill. I, yeah, yeah. I want to share a quick story for our upperclassmen. They'll laugh at this. So uh, Jess must have texted Kim that she was stuck on the hill on her way up this morning in her rental car, wasn't able to make it up the hill. And so Kim had asked, hey, can you go help Jess? She's stuck down there. So Larry and Roger and I, we went down and helped her out. And in that process, I got a text message from Michael Kaza saying, hey, did you know that Jess is stuck on the hill? <laughs> and I'm like, how are you stalking her when she's in BC? <laughs> anyway, she posted on Instagram. He saw the post and he texted me right away saying, do something about it. My pastor is stuck on your hill. So anyways, Michael Kazna. Well, I was the picture of a damsel in distress. I uh, was stuck in the middle of the hill, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to reverse, because you know what's going to happen to me? I'll go off the side of the road. And I was aware of that. And part of, like, growing into yourself is recognizing your own weaknesses. And clearly, backing up and driving is one of my weaknesses. So, I mean... I was thinking about all the sermon illustrate. Listen, if you are going into the ministry, your whole life becomes a sermon illustration. Everything terrible that happens to you, you think, well, at least this will come into a story at some point. So I keep a lot, I say to everybody, listen, doesn't matter what you're doing. All of this will serve as a purpose at some point. You know, God says that he's using everything for our good, but that, that means that we actually have to pay attention to what's going on. So any barf that you do, save it. You will use it. Anything, any crash that happens to you, save it. It will be used. And listen, even if you're not a pastor, you basically are going to be a pastor to your children or to your nieces and nephews. And you're going to have many sermons that you preach to them. I preach to my children regularly. And um, these stories, I will be talking about being stuck in uh, an ice hill. I tried to make the picture on Instagram look like worse than it is, like so that people would think like I'm in the middle of a mountain and... I was hoping people would send me money to get out, but I only got Michael sending me help, which was good. Everybody needs a Michael Kaza in their life. Okay. So listen, um, I, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to begin to specifically talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, just over these next two sessions. Um, but the tendency is when we talk about the Holy Spirit to take it out of the practical realm and to just send it into like, we, we sort of talk about the Holy Spirit as this ethereal spirit that helps us when we're in services and he will give us goosebumps and we will do the stuff. But we don't often talk about it. Uh, how does it meet the, how does the rubber meet the road? How does the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit work in the 21st century, specifically in our very uh, post-postmodern society? And I, I, I do want to talk about that for a minute. Um, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, I, I want to draw your attention uh, to a very familiar verse before we go into our text uh, from Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8. And if you grew up in any sort of Pentecostal or charismatic Church, you know this verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And there's a lot of ways we could break that down. But um, it, it, really, the point of it is, is that the Holy Spirit 
gives us power to be witnesses. And um, often when we think about that, we think about it sort of like anytime you hear the word power now, and I blame this on the X-Men, the Marvel Universe, uh, we think, like, I think automatically most of our, like, thinking goes to, we're going to get power, I'm going to become Iron Man, hopefully with millions of dollars attached to that. We, I, I think that the imagination of our society takes power and turns it into superheroes. Hopefully I will find out that I have some super, have you ever thought about that? Oh, man, I, I got to just square with you. I love watching those X-Men movies. I know they've gotten terrible as time has gone on. They're not as good. We can have a discussion about this later. But, like, just the thought that you could wake up one morning and maybe have, like, laser cat eyes. That could, like, can you imagine all the things that you could get done? And then you could go to that, like, crazy school where everyone has some crazy power. Oh, man. When I need to get escape from the world, I watch those movies back to back. Because there's something really, yeah, I see that. I see that. Um, okay, so, but this is the question I think we have to ask ourselves. In the culture we're currently living in, in what ways do we need power to be witnesses? So, so in what way is our culture in need of power? I want to suggest that it's not always in the way that we think about it. I, I, think, um, I, I think in order to answer this question, we have to take a look at the world we're currently living in. Now, I am a news junkie, and if you were reading your Apple News last night, and you followed a little bit rabbit trail, probably none of you do this like I do, but I'm a nerd, so uh, I, I, if you rabbit trailed the news last night, you, you would have seen that there, were, uh, there was an article out of the National Post that talked about how loneliness is now an epidemic that is a greater risk to people's health than obesity. So, so loneliness is killing people, at a greater rate than obesity. And uh, if you rabbit trailed on that, you, you would have read that they're trying to come up with pharmacological uh, answers to loneliness. So they're essentially, big pharma companies are trying to create a pill that will make people less lonely because the epidemic of loneliness is so out of control. Um, if you've read in recent days, the suicide rates are climbing higher at a faster rate then um, psychiatrists know what to do with. And a lot of you are responding to that. How many of you are in the counseling program here? You're, yeah, yeah. So there's a big need. Uh, you'll never be out of work uh, in the current reality that we're facing. Um, in a, an American study that was released this spring, the high rates of loneliness, uh, 20, there were 20,000 people surveyed, and uh, half of the respondents said that they almost always felt lonely. Half of 20,000 people. Um, and it was the youngest generation surveyed, those between 18 and 22, that were the most lonely. A smaller study in Canada was done, and, and there's many studies now being conducted, but a smaller study in Canada was done with 700 participants, all university students. Two-thirds of those students said that they were devastatingly lonely. This is not a problem that we can just go, oh, well, everybody should be friendly. Because friendliness is not going to cut that kind of loneliness. I'm not saying we shouldn't be friendly. We should be friendly. But uh, this is a major, major problem, both for young people and then also, and then it spikes again also with older folks. So you're past 75, and I know that seems like 100 years away that you're going to be 75 but it's not really. It's coming for you like a train wreck. You're going to be 75 before you know it. Just saying. 
you will remember this moment when you're 75. And that seems like five minutes ago that she said that. Yeah, that's how it feels. Every major birthday, you think, I can't be that. Listen, I just want to tell you that I had a bit of a breakdown last night because like some of you, I know your parents very well. And I only saw pictures of you like when you were small on the internet. Now you're like grown up adults. And I know that you are your parents because you look just, I know that nobody wants to hear that, but it is true. You seem like your parents, you look like your parents. And I looked across this and I actually had to go, (gasps) I had to call my husband and said, do you know that like our friends have adult children now? And anyways, it was a breakdown moment for you. You will be here soon, okay? I'm just telling you, this is the book of Ecclesiastes coming at you. (laughs) We're all dying. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Okay, so historically, let me just give you a little bit of a a history lesson that we're going to look at our text. Historically, over the last 100 years, there have been all kinds of revolutions. So there's been the banking revolution. Okay, so 100 years ago, we didn't have banking. Uh, The industrial revolution, the technological revolution, and I would say currently we're in a biological revolution. That's why Big Pharma can say I'm going to make a loneliness pill, and that seems like sci-fi to me, but it's true. We're in the middle of people making designer babies. But anyways, we're having all these revolutions that is, if you look at it historically, our, our society is changing at a very, very rapid pace. And in some ways, all of these revolutions have taken us from personhood, like before, before the banking revolution, if I had something that you needed, we would barter. I would give you wheat, you would give me iron. I don't know why. You would give me something. Okay, so it was like very, very personal. Now you can't even go into your bank. You like press a little machine or you go out and nobody even presses a little machine. You just open up your phone and you send people money, right? It, we've gone from personhood to power in almost every single revolution. And um, we've traded currency, personal currency, for power. And really, if you, if you think about our society, what we're actually doing is trading power now in every interaction that we have. And this, I think, is what's driving the loneliness in our society because, like, you can go weeks on end. If you were to leave this school right now and move to Abbotsford as a single person, you could, the, the studies show us that you could go weeks and stay alive, months, stay alive and never talk to anybody, never have anybody touch you. You want to know why people are mixed up about sexuality is because we've confused sexuality and intimacy. And they're not the same thing. On a Venn diagram, they're not exactly the same thing. Everybody needs to be touched. So when you're not touched at all, ever anymore, and every touch that we give each other is construed as sexuality, you can see that this makes people both confused and super lonely. Right? Because anytime we confuse loneliness, anytime we trade personhood for power, it leads to a wanting of more power. Right? Do you remember, if you had siblings, do you remember when you'd um, have the fight to get in the front seat? Do you remember this? And you would like come out of church or come out of the grocery store and run as fast as you can and like hip check your brother or sister because you were going in the front. Now you have to be like 15 to go in the front seat, but and stay in your car seat till you're like 12. Some of you got dropped off in a car seat here. <laughs> you had to be 90 pounds and like a giant before. But okay, but when I was a kid, we were like always jockeying for the front seat. But you know, it wasn't enough to get the front seat like one week. You had to get the front seat like all the time, right? Because you, power is insatiable like that. Have you ever got a promotion at work? 
And like you're, you went from like the fry person at McDonald's to now you're the cashier. I don't know if that's how it works at McDonald's, but let's pretend. Okay, so like as soon as you become the cashier, then you think, I, I think I could be the manager. You become the manager, you're making the big bucks. And then you think, I, I'm not just a manager. I think I could become the boss. Like I, I basically think I could own a McDonald's and run this thing. Power is insatiable. This idea that like once you get a little power, you want more. That's just very human. That's not because you're an evil person. It's the way that we're made. Um, and trading personhood for power also leads to competitiveness, though. And ladders that go nowhere... Trading personhood for power uh, gets us to treat people as commodities. And it, it, it also, trading personhood for power ultimately leads to burnout. When I see pastors that have burnt out, often when you get to the root of it, it's because they've been climbing a ladder to nowhere, which creates building kingdoms, trying to get on platforms that ultimately are hollow if we're not careful. And, and I think ultimately it leads to this very profound sense of loneliness. Now, before we like feel like we're careening into a ditch and there's no, like a cliff, I, I, Ecclesiastes is true. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, when the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was a lot like the society we live in today. Now, they didn't have the internet or microwaves, um, but they did have this idea that... Um, they had traded personhood for power. They had come from a culture. Listen, the, the, the people living in the day that the church was birthed, they had come from a culture where everybody was known by their family name. So you had Jesus bar Joseph. You had people who, like, basically you were known by your dad's name. That's a real, like, ha, there's probably not one person in this room here today that knows my dad's name. And you also don't care right? You don't care that I'm Jessica who was born by Robert. Like nobody cares. It's because it's a, a tell, it's very telling of our society, right? We're not known by our people. We're known for what we do. And the Jewish people particularly came from this very personal, and some of you maybe grew up in a, a small, how many of you grew up in a really small town, like under 300 people? Yeah, a few of you. So, okay. Okay. So when, no, you didn't, you're lying. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, um, you know, if you grew up in a really small town, like you go to, you grew up in a small town. So you go to the gas station and probably people knew who you were, right? And there's something beautiful about that. Like if you didn't come out of your house in your small town for a couple of weeks, people would go, are you okay? They'd come and knock on your door. They'd send a dog. (laughs) Not not just a dog. I don't mean that like in a bad way. I mean like sniffing around to figure out if you're all right. Let me take my foot out of my mouth and keep going. Okay, so, so the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire comes in though and they say, nah, 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 all this personal stuff. No, we're not, we're not going to have that anymore. Um, they found themselves having to make their way in an empire that was power hungry. The Roman Empire was, and you read history and you know this, it was the most power hungry um, culture on the planet. And Rome was problematic because unless you had power, you were treated as a commodity. And most people's personhood was not even acknowledged. If you were a slave in the Roman Empire, you were actually talked about in documents as less than a person. 
And, uh, most, and most historians will tell you that Rome fell because of corruption from within. But essentially, when you trade personhood for power, you make room for all kinds of corruption. I would say that's what we're in the midst of here. We're mirroring this. And in the middle of this cultural chaos, the church was birthed. In the middle of a, a society that was extremely, like if you're not even considered a person, imagine how that makes you feel. Bible characters were not different than you and I. They were flesh and blood. And there's this chapter in Romans chapter 16. It's become one of my favorite chapters. It doesn't get preached very much because it's like a laundry list of people's names. But I think there's one verse we're going to read. If you have your phones, you can look it up. I don't have it on my slides. It's Romans chapter 16, verses 22 to 23. And it's an interesting verse because I actually think it tells us the power of the Holy Spirit to address, to address the powers in the society that need to be addressed. Romans chapter 16, verses 22 to 23. And it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, send you their greetings. I know a lot of you are really, this is, wow, what a powerful verse. I am changed by this. Let me break it down a little bit for you. So the word Tertius, the name Tertius, probably none of you are going to name your firstborn son Tertius. It means in Greek three. Those of you that are taking Greek or have taken Greek, I'm sorry to bring this PTSD back for you. But Tertius means three. Okay. At the bottom of that list, it says, and also our brother Cordus. So, okay, Cordus, four. When you were born into a slave family, sometimes what what people did is they named their children very unique. One, two, three, four. This is true of history. But if you were named a number, essentially what it told everyone is that you weren't even worth naming. We're just going to give you the name three. You're number three. And this is interesting Because Tertius is obviously a slave. Historians will tell us that. He was a slave. Cordus was probably a slave as well. But tucked in between these things is this interesting thing. He's writing down Tertius as a slave who's obviously become literate at some point in time. And Paul says to him, while he's writing down Paul's words, Tertius, Tertius, you say hello. And this is why he says, I, Tertius, greet you in the Lord. And in this verse is the heart of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to have the power of the Holy Spirit to address the the powers of our day. You see, it's no wonder that the church flourished in the middle of this empire. Because I want you to then also notice that Tertius says that I write you this letter and greet you in the Lord. And Gaius, whose, uh, whose hospitality I and the whole church Enjoy here. So Tertius is a slave. Gaius is not. Gaius is rich. Gaius has got, like, he's, he's keeping the whole church afloat. Gaius probably drove a Lamborghini. He didn't, but, you know, that's the kind of money he had. Send you his greetings. And Erastus, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. So Erastus was like a, like a government worker. Erastus was not a slave. 
Erastus was this guy who was in charge of the city. And right here, this is where we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. This is what made the church flourish. And I want to suggest today that this is the same spirit we need to help us flourish in this kind of way. You see, up until the Holy Spirit was birthed, they were still fighting. The, the, the people who were following Jesus were still fighting over who was the greatest. You know, you had James and John saying, I want to sit on the right hand of Jesus. And they were afraid. And, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And it turns Rome around. No historian will tell you. No historian will tell you that Christianity didn't matter. The question becomes, why did it matter? Why did it matter? Now, I know a lot of us, we we read the book of Acts and we go, well, it's because there were miracles. And yes, it was because there were miracles, of course. Well, it was because they preached the gospel. Well, yes, it was because they preached the gospel, yes. But I want to suggest the power of the Holy Spirit to address personhood issues actually matters. It's not just about miracles. It's about us standing in the middle of people who don't feel like people anymore and seeing them as people and calling them forward. This is why every career matters. This is why it's not just enough to have all of you training to be pastors in churches. This is why we need counselors. This is why we need directors of nonprofits. Because the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't just raise people from the dead, but raises their spirits from the dead as well. And this is where the Holy Spirit actually has the power to make the church become one. This is not just rhetoric. Like we talk about in churches, we talk about, oh, we're going to pray that we're unified. And sometimes when we say that, it's like a little bit of a euphemism for like, We're going to pray that nobody's mad about the loud drums anymore. We're all going to be one. When really, I think that the power of the Holy Spirit was to make us one in terms of our social classes, in terms of our race, in terms of our, the way we think about things. And this one little verse shows us this. I want to read this quote from Rodney Stark. He's a a biblical scholar, and he said this, Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing service. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. I want to call us back to this kind of imagination. That the Holy Spirit that we're crying out for is not, we're not just looking for a move here in chapel. I mean, I'm all for these moments. We got to have these kind of moments where God comes and speaks to us. But for the purpose of us speaking to the loneliness in our culture. 
for the purpose of making the world a more tolerable place to live. And the Holy Spirit that resides in you brings that kind of power. And I want to suggest that if we lived with that kind of power, that there'd be a lot less people saying, well, I don't really like your religion. It just kind of annoys me. You, you guys are just all about the rules. I want to suggest that if we lived with the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, we're being witnesses to speak to the power of people's aloneness change everything. When you look at historical documents about the church that was birthed, you don't see, you see a lot of people saying, ah, it's kind of like you read Josephus reading, writing, and he will say things like, it's kind of strange, they follow this strange way, but man, they are good for, they are good for the culture. Man, they are good. He doesn't say it like that. He says it in a old-fashioned kind of way. But that's basically the bottom line. I, When I read my Facebook feeds, I I don't read a lot about that anymore. I read like a lot of my friends who don't know the Lord. And by the way, you need to have friends that don't know Jesus. If your only friends know Jesus, if your idea of witnessing is you and your friends having a time of intercession, praise the Lord, go find some people that don't know Jesus. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Not to sinners, of sinners is is the Greek word. Of sinners, there's a big difference between of and to. If I'm a friend to you, Like if I say, oh, I'm going to be a friend to you. That's like condescending and mean. Like somehow I think Jesus was his friend of sinners. That meant that sinners said Jesus was my friend. So how many friends do you have? So listen, I got this whole group of friends that doesn't know Jesus. And their question to me always is, why are all the Christians so mad? Why Why are you so mad? I... I, I think sometimes we want all the spectacular things. So we want to go to a funeral where somebody comes out of the coffin, and I do too. I, I want that too. But for my friends who don't know Jesus, the thing that is most powerful to them is that a Christian actually sees them. That when that guy that they've been living with for 10 years breaks up with them, that a Christian person sits with them and just says, You matter. Your life matters. God sees you. And doesn't give them a whole bunch of stuff that they already know. I had somebody last week sitting in my office, and she said, um, she's about 40, an executive for the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Okay, so she's, like, fancy. And, uh, uh, she said, it's weird. She said, I mean, I, I have had a life of all the things I've wanted. And she said, I used to like um, think about people who had religion and think about it as a crutch. She said, then my life kind of fell apart underneath me. And I wondered how I was going to, I don't know, she lost her job. She, her boyfriend left her, her you know, just hard life stuff. She said, but I had this one friend who just like invited me over to her house, cooked me dinner, didn't say a word, and then just said, hey, we have this book study. Do you want to come to it tonight? And she said, I cannot believe that all these years I didn't know that God was walking with me. She looked at me in the eyes and she said, but now I know God was chasing me down all this time. And she said, I've told my friends, and they all think I'm 
crazy. And then she said something funny to me. She said, I'll tell you how I knew this was all real. And I'm expecting like some kind of like apologetic. She's a really smart girl, MBA. She said, I'll tell you how I knew. I was sitting in church and you were doing that singing business. She said, by the way, I just figured out what that singing business was. After like six weeks, I was thinking to myself, why do Christians sing? It's so weird. Do they all think they're going to get a record deal? Like this is... She said, I just figured it out. But she said, I knew it was real. When like, there was like a time somebody got up to give like a little talk. And they said, like, if you have a problem, um, just put up your hand and we'll pray for you. Which, you know, is like kind of normal in churches. And so this, she said, and I saw this person that looked quite rough. She said, like, I'm not being judgy. It's just you could tell they looked rough. (laughs) And a whole bunch of people who definitely didn't know her got around her and they prayed and they cried and they, they looked like they really meant it. And she said, that's how I knew this was real. So the power of the Holy Spirit to her was not, it was neither here nor there if the prayer got answered. That's not what, what made it real for her. What made it real for her was that people actually saw personhood. And I want to suggest this morning that the greatest power of the Holy Spirit that you can walk in is seeing people's personhood. When you go down this hill, don't go till Friday. But when you go down the hill and you stop to get gas, the greatest power of the Holy Spirit that you can show somebody is actually seeing them. Actually seeing them. And this is the power that the Holy Spirit gives us In a world that's going very, very quickly, the tendency for all of us, even when we know the Lord, is to trade personhood for power. Now, in Christian circles, we don't call it power. We call it opportunity. We call it the Lord opening doors, giving us platform, influence, impact. We guise it in these kinds of words. Now, all these things are not bad, but they are bad if if all we're seeking is that instead of seeing people's personhood. And in the end, if I I could just speak to you about this just for a minute, those of you that are, you know, the Lord's called you to some kind of platform ministry. If all you do is seek the platform, you will burn out. And 10 years from now, I'll be having a discussion with you about how you were called to the ministry, but it just didn't work out and how this happens when we trade personhood for power. So what happens when we decide that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us? I want to suggest that we need the Holy Spirit's power to help us see people, to help us see people. Uh, That this is not, we we, we sang about this today. We, We do need to pray that God would move, but I think we need to pray that he would move so that we would see people, like really see people, like see see them for who they are. So I I told you that for 10 years, my husband and I pastored um, a church in the inner city and probably about 30% of our congregation was homeless people. And, um, you know, but even when I was leading in this context, you like, there is a tendency to go pastor like, so I was like, I had like a very serious, I have a very serious face when I'm thinking It actually looks mean. I'm aware of that. I try to smile a lot. 
Um, but anyways, I was like, I had my pastor face on and things were going awry on the Sunday morning. And I was stomping around the church. I don't know, maybe trying to look important. And one of the homeless guys who um, my children lovingly called Santa for, they thought he was Santa Claus, except for that he wore a belly top every week to church. So a long beard, belly top. It was a good look. It was before his time. Um, he stopped me and he said, he got right in front of me like this and I couldn't move. And I was trying, you know, when you're trying to get out of somebody's way, you look a lot better. He said, when you smile, whoa, it was like a moment for me. Cause I realized I was stomping around, not seeing anybody stomping around being self-important, pretending like now, I know none of us, this is the hard part about this, is none of us would admit, yes, that's me, I'm totally self-important. That's what I struggle with. Like, you know when you, you, know when you um, go somewhere for a job interview or whatever, and they ask you, like, what's your weakness? And usually the best thing to say there is, I work too hard. That is my weakness. <laughs> my biggest problem is that I care too much. So, like, none of us would be like, yes. And the thing that I struggle with is self-importance. But our society pushes all of us to think that we're self-important. And it is very easy for Christians. It's very easy for any of us to walk around like we're self-important. So, I want to suggest that we got to ask the Lord we got to ask the Holy Spirit, I need a move of God. Uh, Holy Spirit, I need you to move in my life so that I actually see people. So I actually see them for who they are. Because it, can you imagine if we had 300 people saying like out in BC, I see people. It would change our province. It would change our nation. And then I think we need to ask the Lord to help us. We need to ask the Lord to help me to find my notes is what we need to do. I've lost my last note. I think I only gave it. Okay, it's on the screen. Great. Uh, Here we go. (laughs) This is why I have notes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We need to ask the Holy Spirit to identify where we traded personhood for power. where, Where in your life have you traded personhood for power? In all of our lives, there's different places where we've done that. And and then I think... um, my prayer for you today is that you would see that the Holy Spirit is here for you. I, I would imagine that in a room this size, that there are some of you that came in um, feeling excruciatingly lonely. And even in a crowd like this, even maybe in your dorms where you're living with hundreds of people, you feel really, really alone. And this is exactly why the church was birthed. Do you ever think about this? Like, why did God birth, why did he choose the church? A whole bunch of imperfect people together. Like, why didn't he just say, like, come to me and then I'll take you to heaven? That would have been much easier, wouldn't it have? Like, the end. Instead, he said, no, what I'm going to do is put you in this thing called the church, the body of Christ. Part of that is so that I, I, I believe so that we can minister to one another. And the church while imperfect, has to be a place where we know and understand the power of God in our own lives. So you can't speak to the loneliness in other people's lives if you yourself are living like, feeling like really, really alone. 
So my prayer is this, this morning, I'm gonna ask the band to come back. We do a couple of things. The first thing, maybe you're here and you're feeling really alone. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit's gonna minister to you. He's gonna help you to remember that you're not alone. That you don't have to walk this, this place. I mean, there's been a rash of pastors committing suicide in the last year. It's really sad. Some of them friends of mine, some of them people that like, I just, we, we have to be really honest about this. So if you're feeling alone here today, this is a safe place to say, yeah, that's me. I need the Holy Spirit to come and to bring me comfort. Now, the Holy Spirit does that through each other. The worst thing you can do is suffer in silence. The second thing, if maybe that's not you, but I'm praying that God would give you eyes to see people today that we would have a move of the Holy Spirit that would actually allow us to see people so that what can be said of us is the same as said in Romans chapter 16. This is the kind of church we're looking for. That we would see the Tertius, I Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. So that nobody, no matter what their background, no matter what their gifts, no matter what their skills, no matter who the world said they were, we would all be one. And that is power to be witness. That is power to behold. And if we would walk in that kind of power, I think the world would take notice of that. And that's my prayer for all of us today. Would you just stand to your feet this morning? I'm going to ask you to be very brave. I'm going to ask you to be very brave, and then I'm going to ask you to be very selfless. If you're here uh, this morning and you would say, yep, I, uh, that is me. I am lonely. I fit into this category. I feel like I need the Holy Spirit to breathe on me in some way. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, nothing to be ashamed of. Hey, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the spirit of the age, right? So, of course, there would be those of us that would be attacked. Okay, now, keep your hands up for a second. There's nothing to be, dis- this is nothing. I'm asking that if you see somebody with their hands up now, that you would turn to them, get around them, speak life to them. Yeah, don't let anybody be alone. And I want you to pray your guts out for these people. I, I, I want you to pray, because at some point it might be you that's feeling this. We commend their courage. And I pray that now that you would, just even over yourself, that you would pray that God would give you courage to see them.
as you finish praying, now listen, if God's given you a word for some of you, keep praying over them. But as you finish praying, I, I, I want you then to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to move in your life. And that he would begin to show you where you've traded personhood for power and that he would move on you to be able to see people, to speak to the spirits of the age. That God would give you power to speak into loneliness. So this prayer time, listen, I I want you to remember the people that put up their hand because like we're going to pray for them. We're going to believe God's going to do a miracle. But our job then is to walk with people. But could you just pray that over yourself then? Begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would move on us as men and women of God. That we would really, really see people. That God would give us insight. This afternoon we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be people who hear the voice of God and walk in the prophetic. And, and I, I, it's going to be, it's going to be fun together, but can we just lift up our hands all over the place? If you're still praying, keep praying. That's fine. But if you're not praying, lift up your hands. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that you would move in our hearts. You would cause us to see people for who they are. God, help us to be people who walk in your way. God, help us to be people who speak to the spirits of the day, who confront the evil spirits of the day. I pray that we would be people not just of talk, but of power, God. That you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart. That you would help us to take our eyes off ourselves. And that, God, we would see people for who they are, people created in your image, God. God, I pray that you would help us to be relentless in our pursuit, God, of you. And so that we would then be relentless in our pursuit of others. God, I pray for us that we would have the courage to take up our cross and follow you every minute of every day. God, that the church in Canada would look like the life-changing force that you've caused it, that you've meant for it to be. God, I pray that you would speak to your children now. Give Give us vision for what that looks like. Show us the pragmatics of what that means, God. And may we be people to very carefully do all that you've asked us to do. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus.